Hey everyone, this is Josh from Solopreneur Grind for episode 92 of the Solar Solopreneur Grind podcast. I am here with Brian Clayton from yourgreenpal.com. Brian, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Josh, thanks for having me on. Great to be here. I'm really excited, Brian, to hear about your story, your background, how you got into where you are today. Can you tell us firstly uh, just a little bit about you, you know, who is Brian and you know, what do you do today and then I'll do a deep dive on on how you got there. Yeah, so currently I'm co-founder and CEO of a mobile app called GreenPal. So like in one sentence, GreenPal is the Uber for lawn mowing. So if you're a homeowner and need to get your grass cut, rather than calling around on Craigslist, you can just download our app and somebody will come out and mow your yard. Been at this for eight years, eight-year overnight success. Uh, several hundred thousand people are using the app now. We're doing $20 million a year in, in revenue. Started off really humbly. Uh, it was a slow, slow grind getting the, the marketplace going, but now here we are eight years in, and, and we've got a good profitable business going now. Awesome. That's great to hear. And Brian, the, the first thing that I thought, and you've already kind of answered this question, the first thing I thought when I looked up the website was, there's that many people that need mowing services, but I guess there's, I mean, I'm, I live in a condo, right? I've never had to yeah. pay to have my, my grass mode or uh, lawn uh, mode. So it's, you're, you're based out of the U S right. And, and, and what's the market size look like? Cause that's, those are some big numbers. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, the market size for landscaping maintenance is $99 billion just in the United States. It's a huge wow. market and it's, and it's unique because it's, it's very fragmented on both sides of the market. Uh, it's $99 billion market, but um, the, the top 10 players in the market only constitute 1% of the sales. So everything wow. else from, from 98 billion on is, is mom and pops, chucking the trucks, uh, solo entrepreneurs, and that's who we really help empower. That's who we help grow their business. They plug into our platform. We kind of give them a business in a box and uh, enable them to to double, triple uh, uh, their business in the first year of operating it on the GreenPal platform. And then conversely, on the, on the other side of the transaction, homeowners, rather than calling around trying to figure out trying to find these smaller service providers, we, we offer a nice modulated experience where they can just jump on the app, re, re, pick who they want to work with, read reviews, and o- almost order them off the shelf like they do on Amazon. Right. So it's a, it's, it's 10 X better for, for both sides of the transaction. I actually, uh, believe it or not, before I started this eight years ago, I had a landscaping business. That's what I did. I started mowing grass in high school as a way to make extra cash, put myself through college mowing yards. Then I graduated college, I had to make a decision. Was I going to go into the job market and take a pay cut or was I just going to keep mowing yards? I didn't really want to be a lawn guy uh, my entire life. I went to business school, but uh, I figured, okay, let's just see where I can go with this business. And over a 15 year period of time, built that into one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, where I live, Hmm. got it over 150 employees, over $10 million a year in revenue. And in 2013, the company was acquired by one of the largest landscaping businesses in the United States. So running that company, I, I saw firsthand just how inefficient it, uh, it, the whole, the whole, uh, market operated and I thought okay an app needs to exist to make this thing run smoother and uh, luckily I didn't know what I didn't know and I was naive to a certain extent and that's kind of what got me in the game and uh, and recruited two co-founders who who also had a chip on their shoulder to build something great and we just went to work. Wow that's uh, that's really cool to hear you, you often see it that way especially with technology or apps where you have the domain expertise you combine that with technology, especially in a market that could really use some of that technology. And, you know, that's where the magic happens. 
really, Brian, before I get into the, the backstory, because I want to hear, you know, about the first business and what building that was like, what are some of the, and this is a selfish question that I'll explain for a reason in a second, what in other ways of just sending leads to lawn mowing companies, what other features or aspects of the app or, or platform are helping the mom and pop shops kind of improve their business? It's a great question. Um, because there is no shortage of uh, static repositories to find service providers. So uh, there's Angie's List, Yelp, Home Advisor, Facebook, Craigslist. You know, there's there's no shortage of places you can go as a consumer and find a list of names and numbers. Mm -hmm. But then you still, as the as the consumer, have to poll these people. You have to call them. You have to get availability, get service service uh, quotes. You have to you have to figure out are they any good or not. Um, and so it kind of stops there. Right. Our platform is the only vertically integrated one where it's an end-to-end -end experience. So as a homeowner, you, you jump on the app, you instantly get quotes from service providers in your zip code. You then can read reviews, figure out who you want to work with, hire them, and then pay them and schedule them for ongoing services all on the app. And then set it up and it's kind of invisible. It just happens in the background. You don't have to worry about it anymore. So right. that's the only experience like that, uh, where end to end, you can go from my grass is four feet tall. I don't know anybody. Uh, I don't know anybody's schedule, anybody's availability, anybody's pricing to, okay, I've got somebody hired and, and in the pocket for, for it to come out tomorrow. Uh, and literally set in minutes rather than, than hours or days. So that's, uh, that's why we, that's what we do. That's, that's the, the, the value proposition to consumers. And then on the service provider side, it's uh, it goes much deeper. It's it's a place to accrue all of the reliability around your business, how often you show up on time, uh, reviews that you're getting, uh, pictures of your completed jobs. It's almost like a website, uh, mm -hmm. a storefront, if you will, that they can market and, and uh, market to clientele that they didn't have before. And it's a place where all of this information about how reliable and, and good their business is accrues to where people can confidently hire them versus the status quo is like it's just a name and a number and, a, and and like maybe a static like facebook page with with no real rich data as, as to how, how how reliable is this service provider and then beyond that it's it's a place for scheduling route optimization uh crm um marketing automation all of these things just happen uh for the service provider and they and they get them kind of for free uh, as a way of uh, when they operate their business on the platform. And the way we make money is they, they pay a small transactional fee uh, based on the revenue they're, do, they're doing through the platform. And then there's also some premium tools that they can subscribe to if they want. Got it. Very cool, very cool. And, and the reason I ask is, I mean, we're currently doing some tech, we're building some technology in the immigration space, both for end consumers, as well as immigration professionals to help improve their practice. So. 80% of what you just listed you know my off as, uh, yeah, well, 80% of the features that you just listed kind of for both sides of the equation apply exactly the same. So I'm gonna have to do some thinking on, on how to apply it to uh, what we're building. So that's really great. So Brian, I want to go back to college for you. You're, you're, you're in school, as you said, you put yourself through mowing lawns. Can you take us to Brian's mindset when you're finishing college and like you said you had this big question right you've got this gig you're making a lot of money you, you know you know it you got some momentum um, and then you get a business degree what was kind of the conversation like in your head there and then what do you think ultimately was the deciding factor in what you ended up doing yeah so those early days to be honest 
I kind of had a chip on my shoulder. I just wanted to build something big, great, and profitable. And I really saw a lane for small business as the thing that could help me improve my station in life, help me almost to a degree make something of myself. And, uh, I, I, you know, I didn't really have any other talents and anything else. So I, th- I figured out, okay, you know, I'm on second base with this business. Let's see how far I can build it and, and how, how big I can make it. And and I saw other competitors kind of doing doing pretty well. And I thought, I know I can do better than them. I know I can build a better business than what they're doing because I kind of had an idea around how to better market it, how to better run it. And so for me, like in the first year, two, three years of, of, of growing that company past, you know, a million in sales, five million in sales, getting it close to 10 million in sales, it was, it was almost like a, an ego thing. I was really, I really just wanted to build the biggest most successful company in my market. But then as time went on three, four years in, I, I began to realize, wow, this business is not just about me. It's about the, the now 10, 20, 30, 50 people who work for me at, at a certain point in time, I had 150 employees and it kind of took on a different meaning that now I, I am, I'm running this business that is, that is uh, responsible for the livelihoods of over a hundred people. It began then the purpose of running that company be, began to be more serious. And, and uh, so it was kind of like, I was able to grow and mature as a businessman uh, as I grew that business. And, and that was one of the beautiful things of it. And that was like, you know, 20 years in, in business, I, I look back and that's kind of one of the things that's kind of kept me going is like the company, the, the, the project is the thing that causes me to level up. It's the thing that causes me to learn things that I n- not wouldn't necessarily learn or, or read books that I wouldn't necessarily read or, 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 or watch you things on YouTube or podcasts that I, that I normally wouldn't be interested in. Like, like the business is the forcing function that causes me to acquire those, those things. And, I think that's one of the, the best things about running a business. It's like it can be the thing to propel you to level up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I can definitely connect with a lot of that. Can you talk about, Brian, how did you even get it off the ground, right? You said by the end of college, you had it at second base. A lot of people struggle even to get to first base, right, with business. Did you find even before college, like what did you have prior business experience? Was this just all flying by the seat of your pants? Like, how did how did you get those first few sales, and and how did you kind of get that snowball rolling? Yeah, look, looking back, you know, I was twenty, you know, twenty three, twenty four, twenty five, had twenty, thirty, forty employees, and, and I was, you know, even looking back, it's like how how did I even know how to do any of that? And I think like business can be almost like metaphorically looked at like almost like a video game like there's 10 levels and and you just got to get through one level at a time and like super mario brothers like you just got to get through the first level throw up the flag you don't need to worry about bowser and so for me like level one was getting the company to 100k in revenue doing whatever it is i had to do like me doing all the work me passing out flyers me doing all the bookkeeping maybe getting somebody to help me on a saturday but just let's get to 100 or 200k in revenue and then and then looking at it like and from the rear view okay now we're on level two we're doing 250k in revenue we want to get to a half million what do we have to do well we got to figure out ways to get customers already nearby our existing customers we can't be driving all over town because it's not making us any money and i got this guy helping me on a saturday i got to figure out how i'm gonna help have him help me five days a week or three days a week so it's like easing into this stuff one little level at a time and before you know it five years later you're on level seven where now you're doing five million in revenue and it's like now the problems 
are, are bigger. It's like, okay, well now I have to engineer a sales process and, and a way to train salespeople and, and a way to compete in a really hyper competitive industry um, and do things better and different than my competitors. So it's a totally different set of problems that you had on level two, but you got to mm -hmm. go through those levels, you know, metaphorically uh, little by little to kind of level up each stage of the game. Um, and if you really, and I think the problem that a lot of entrepreneurs fall into is they are uh, on level one or two and they're they're thinking about level eight and nine and that, that doesn't really apply at that stage of the game like just ease your way into it it's going to take a, it's going to take five years or 10 years or 15 years just go slow take your time think small but be ambitious hold yourself accountable to get stuff done um, but ease your way through it one level at a time and, that, and that's kind of what's what looking back 20 years of, of of growing companies from scratch that that's one thing that's made sense to me yeah, and, and it sounds like it makes a lot of sense and it, it makes things a little bit easier in the sense that you don't have to stress about too much that, you know, that doesn't apply to you yet. So right. it, it, it's just a really great mindset, I think, to have in general. Brian, let's talk about sales, especially in those first two levels. Uh, you know, you're selling mowing grass, right? It's not rocket science per se. As you said, hyper competitive, a lot of other people doing it. And one of the most interesting things that I've found from guests on the show is they happen to be very good at sales, right? That's kind of what you need uh, anyways, as you said, level one, get to 100K a year, you just gotta go hustle and go get sales. Can you talk about, you know, what was your approach? Do you have any tips or advice? Maybe people who don't feel as comfortable with sales or they're not maybe a natural kind of salesman type thing? Yeah, one of my favorite quotes is Mark Cuban. He says, "Sales cures all," and that's true. And mm -hmm. and you know, it, and it's, whether it be a lawn mowing business or or a construction company, whatever you're talking about, you're going to be in you're going to be in the sales uh, business at a certain point in time. And I think as the founder, as the as the owner, as the manager, CEO, whatever you want, whatever you want to call yourself, you 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 have to develop those skills as a salesperson. You just it's it's almost like table stakes. It's hard to yes, as time goes on, you can you can delegate these things to somebody who's better at it than you are. But I think you have to be like 80, 20 good at, at a lot of different stuff, uh, whether it be management or organization or marketing or, or sales, like you have to be just good enough to do some of these things to a certain extent to get yourself through the first couple of years. If, and, and like identifying what's working and doing more of that and, and, and not, and not worrying about what's not working as it relates to sales. It's something that's helped me, um, you know, along along the, the journey. Um, you know, in the first few years, it was mostly residential clientele. So I was I was literally just passing out flyers because I knew I needed. That's how I was going to get to two hundred fifty k. And then I knew I wanted to get to, get to two and a half million. I thought, okay, I got to get out of that game. I got to get into the game of, of these big six figure contracts. How am I going to do that? And that's when I had to develop like a direct sales approach of of prospecting, of setting up meetings and, and figuring out what our value proposition was and what it is we did that aligned to what it is our customers needed and what their goals were. And it took years to figure out. And I didn't want to do it. I hate, I hate, I'm, a, I'm, I'm naturally an introvert. I hate cold calling people. Uh, everybody does. But it was something I just had to do, had to force myself to do, had to learn how to do to, to get the business where it needed to be. And that's, that's just an example, a real world example of the business is the forcing function of your personal development. You know, I never in a million years would have done any of those things had I not want, 
wanted to get my business to seven and eight figures. Um, and, and, and so I think like, if you have that fire in your belly to, to build something successful, then the, then the good thing that's going to happen is, is it's going to force you to do things you never would have ever done. So for me, like that was becoming a good salesperson and, and learning how to train other salespeople. Nowadays, my, my current business, we don't have sales staff, but guess what? We, we do other ways to, to market and having to retool and retrain, um, and learn those, 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 those skills was, was another example of my business causing me to learn things I never would have had, never would have wanted to learn. Absolutely. Do you have maybe one or two tips? Let's say someone's level one, they're just hitting the phones or they're, you know, they're knocking door to door one or two pieces of, you know, practical piece of advice on someone to improve their sales game. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's not enough to like work in the business and on the business. You also have to work on yourself. And so there, quite frankly, when you're starting a business, there is no time for Netflix. There is no time for, for a lot of the stuff that you used to do that, that, that just was a, was a waste of your time. You have to learn things like, like one of the best things you can do when you're first getting started is to take every course on copywriting that you can take. Um, like spend six months or a year just learning good copywriting. Read read all the top books on copywriting, and and that will make you a better salesperson because it'll help you communicate more clearly. It'll help you uh, understand how to communicate your value proposition more crisply. And like if you can develop that skill, and even if you're only 80, 20 good at it, and you know by, what I mean by that is like learning 20% of whatever it is that gets you 80% there. That'll make you a better, more effective salesperson. It'll help you. It'll help you write the copy for your website better. Help you write the copy for your marketing materials better. Help you uh, write the copy for your sales scripts better. So, like, that's the first thing. And there's just not enough hours. Like everybody talks about this work-life balance thing. You know how you can build a company or build a business. You know, for, on 40 hours a week. I don't see it because it's not just working in the business. You also have to like work on yourself, learning these skills. You can't just go hire a good copywriter. In level three, four, and five, yeah, you need to. But like when you're first getting started, you got to become a good copywriter mm-hmm. uh, to to learn sales. That's just like the first step. And and the other reason why I think that's so important too, Brian, is when you know just the eighty twenty, it makes hiring that much easier. Because if you don't yeah. know how to write copy, if you don't know how to do sales, how are you going to evaluate whether this guy can write good copy or that girl can sell well? Uh, so Absolutely. I, I totally agree. I mean, I've spent a lot of time studying, learning, and now doing copywriting. Just so I agree a hundred percent. It's so, it's so important. And it's one of those things where the 80, 20 can take you so far, right? Going from good to great copy can really make a huge, huge difference, right? It's not just like one-to-one. I find it's like that much better of a landing page can increase your conversions by a crazy amount. So, right. uh, And, and, you know, in our, in our world, it's, you know, you know, we have the best, most sophisticated system to get you the the the, the best lawn mowing services in your zip code. At, at, you know, at, 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 without having to make all the phone. Or do you want to like read all that? Or lawn care, comma fast. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's it. Like you have you have three seconds to to communicate to somebody. Where am I? What can I do here? And why does it matter? And that applies to any business that you're in. And and so step one spend your nights and weekends learning how to be a, 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 a crappy copywriter because <laughs> you know to be a great copywriter is a lifetime of work but at least be, become a crappy one so then you know you can identify the, the good one or the great one when you want to hire them 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So Brian, I want to talk a little bit more about the, you know, level five plus type business, you know, how did things change? I mean, I'm guessing there's, we could probably do a whole episode on, on this question, but talk us through, you know, when you started getting to those really high levels, how much different was it? How much did you have to change as a person and as a CEO? And, you know, what was that like for people that are still in level one, two, three, you know, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, looking back eight years ago when I started the business small now, I'm a completely different person. You know, there's all kinds of things and ways that I've evolved and changed and improved. And the business is the thing that's caused me to do that. And so as you are, as you're, as you're growing alongside of your business and you're having to level up the, to use the video game metaphor, like the, 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 the final boss at every level is just different and the challenges are different. And, and that's the thing that causes you to level up. And, and so when you get to level two or three, guess what? You now you're, now you've got five or 10 employees. Now you got to learn how to be a decent leader. You got to learn how to, you got to learn how to manage. You got to learn how to, how to lead. And so now you need to reach for, be reaching for John Maxwell books and, and stuff like that. And, and so, like one of my favorite quotes, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg, whatever you think of Mark Zuckerberg, it, it, this is a good quote. He says, don't be a know-it-all, be a learn-it-all. And you got to mm-hmm. think that dude at 24 or, you know, was running a multi-billion dollar uh, company. I mean, that's just incredible. And it's only because the, the guy is just always willing to learn as much as he can from people around him. And, 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 and that, I think, is the thing that can cause you to, to like – level up and, 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 and kind of play in a game that maybe you would never would have thought you'd been able to play in. And, uh, and so, so long as you're like sufficiently motivated to go and seek out and learn the skills that you have to learn for whatever stage of the game you're at is kind of how you can, you can grow alongside of the business. Uh, the problem is, is a lot of business owners, particularly in, in the industries I've been in, get stagnant and they'll st- stay stuck at a level three or four or five for like a decade. And then they hate their business. And uh, that's a that's a slippery slope. You, you know, you don't want to find yourself not moving forward, not growing, because in this in business, if you're not thriving, you're dying. If you're not growing, you're contracting. And if you're contracting, then 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 you're not going to you're not going to build anything great. Mm-hmm. Now, that said, it's OK to run a small company that's very profitable and if you're happy with that. But in most cases, if, if you're not gaining ground, like the, uh, one of my favorite quotes is George Patton. He says, if you're not gaining ground, you're losing ground. And I believe that to be the case in, in business, every business that I've ever been involved in, it is. Right. Very cool. Yeah, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I think it's also one of those things that can really attract the you know more motivated entrepreneurs is the fact that you can continue to do really well and it's such such a challenge and then you get different challenges as you progress. So it's almost like right. you kind of have to start over again. I remember reading a passage, I, I forget who it was by, but he was basically saying how your basic, your business almost has, all your systems within your business have to be reset at multiples of 10 and three. So it's like when you get to three employees, you gotta you know do this. When you get to 10, you gotta do, when you get to 30, when you get to 300, et cetera, et cetera, you kind of have to reinvent systems and stuff. Absolutely, I agree with that 100%. And if you look at it, like hiring your first employee is like one of the most difficult parts of a business because you're effectively doubling your business like that. Right. And that's, you know, there may not be another moment where you double your business so quickly is when you hire your first employee, that's really hard. But then when you get to 10 and 20 and 100, like it's not as that big a deal. And you're, you you have matured the processes around that. And yeah, I like that. You almost have to like reinvent everything at certain intervals. 
and and like that's just an awesome thing it causes you mm-hmm. to level up it causes the business to level up it's like this principle of 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 successful businesses and how to grow them is the is the constant improvement and constant uh, reinvention of of rebuilding it from the inside out is one of the greatest things about it for sure absolutely Brian, I want to talk more about the the platform, the technology, but really first, is there an interesting story behind the sale of your first company? Was Did they just come out of nowhere, give you an offer? What was that experience like? Yeah, I'd like to tell you that, that it happened that way. Uh, it didn't. <laughs> so I, I had grown that business, you know, my team and I for 15 years and kind of along the same thread of what we're talking about in terms of your personal development in many ways is tied to your business development. I uh, I had reached the point of, 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 of a plateau. I I you know was there was no longer challenged by it, and that, and that bothered me. And so I kind of stayed stuck there for a couple of years. And so the idea of okay, I've reached the point where it's time to explore and exit for this company. What now? And uh, and it took from the moment I had that notion in my head to the moment I got the business sold was over two years. Oh, wow. And so there was a it was a long process of of implementing the systems that the business didn't have that it needed to, in order to get it groomed for an exit um, of of reverse engineering a lot of the things that I had built uh, just because I didn't really know how to build a business that could be acquired. And, you know, looking back, if, if I had uh, this book called Built to Sell, um, I could have uh, avoided a lot of the pain, but uh, I didn't. And so mm-hmm. I kind of had to like learn this stuff along the way. and. And so, yeah, it took a long time grooming the business and getting it ready and everything from from our financial accounting to some of our operations. And then and then we we had we had to run almost a sales process to get the company sold. Uh, that took a long time. And ultimately, it all worked out. I got it done. It was one of the biggest acquisitions in that industry in a, for about a decade. But uh, it was very, very challenging. It was one of the hardest things I've ever uh, attempted to do and pull off in my life. Wow. Yeah, I, I built the cell is right behind me somewhere on that shelf. It's, <laughs> That's uh, a good book. It's a great read. Yeah, John, I think it's John Warlow for anybody who's interested uh, in giving it a read. When you say, Brian, you know, we had to kind of put it into a position to and, and then try and go sell it. Did you use a broker or did you do it all on your own? I used a, a broker, okay. and that's an, that is a piece of advice I would give to anybody who's wanting to sell a company in that kind of five to ten million dollar revenue range. And uh, I wouldn't have been able to get the transaction done without him. He knew the industry. He he specialized only in in this one particular industry. He he had the Rolodex, so to speak. He had the relationships. He knew what 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 it was we needed to do to to get the company groomed for sale. And so without him, it would have never happened. Um, and so that's one piece of advice I would give is like hire a consultant or a coach or somebody who's doing M&A in your industry and mm-hmm. do that a year before you think you want to run the process. Because it's going to take you most likely take you a year at least to, to get ready to start the process. Right. OK, that's great to know. So, Brian, you sell the company. Was was your idea for your green pal already kind of in your head were, were there motions in place working to kind of get it started or did you sell and like take some time off relax a little bit T- take me from the you know how did you go from one to another yeah 
I did not have an idea to start. I did not want to start another business after I sold the first one. I, I was I was tired. Running that company was like organized chaos every day. It was 150 employees. With, you know, it was 150 problems every day, um, and much of that was my fault for not for not uh, implementing uh, the right systems to to solve those problems. But it was exhausting running that company. Um, so when I sold it. I retired. I didn't have to work anymore. And so I was only like 33 years old at the time. And, and I thought, okay, this is great. Now I can just do investing and, and just dabble and stuff and travel. And I did that for like six months. And then I got really, really, really bored <laughs> and I got fat. Um, <laughs> so it was funny. Um, like I didn't realize that like my, so much of my like personal development and even my fitness was tied to running my, my company. I thought, oh no, man, something's missing here. Like, I don't have the purpose. I don't have the the reason to go out and crush it every day. I gotta. So, like, I came to the conclusion that I had to start another company. And so, uh, <laughs> there was a few ideas I had, and and one was was really blaring and and and, and uh, obvious to me was the idea for GreenPow, because running the first company we got to a point where we no longer did basic residential services, but people would still call us every day, like a hundred people a day. Hey, will you come cut my grass? Sorry, we don't do that anymore. Hmm. And so, uh, and so I saw this problem every single day that it was just hard for these folks to find the best fit, smaller service providers. And so that's what, that's what the idea was. The value proposition was to, to build the app. And here we are eight years later, it is no different. Like the vision then is the same thing we're working on now. And so that, that, that never changed. Uh, so I, I knew that uh, it would work. I knew that it needed to be built. What I didn't know was how difficult that was going to be because I didn't know how to write code. Uh, my two co-founders that wanted to work on the project with me, they didn't know how to write code. We didn't realize the complexities and nuances of developing a marketplace from scratch, one that was locally constrained. All of these things are like in and of themselves, very difficult challenges to overcome. And so we just, Went to work on it and never gave up. We just kept moving forward little by little, making a little bit, little bit of progress. It was very humbling. Uh, friends and family thought I was crazy, but uh, we just stuck with it. That's very cool. What, one thing I love about both businesses, Brian, is, I mean, besides all the tech and all the intricacies of day-to-day -day stuff and systems, they are quite simple, right? I mean, your first business, you were selling lawn mowing services, right? Second business, you're just connecting the lawn mowers with the, with the yards, right? Relatively very simple, I would say. And probably what a lot of entrepreneurs do is get it mixed up that simple means that, you know, it's not big enough or it's not good enough or it's not creative enough. Do you have any thoughts there on, you know, just keeping things simple, you know, or, or any advice to people who are maybe thinking about business of ideas that they may have? Some are harder, some are simpler. What's it been like for you? I think like there's correlation between the least glamorous and least sexy your idea and the simpler your idea, the, the greater your odds of, of success. Mm -hmm. And, and so for us, it's definitely the case, you know, uh, we are, we do one thing in the world. We're the best in the world at getting you hooked up with a great lawn mowing service. And that simplicity doesn't need to like, you don't need to fix that. You need to like keep that as simple as, as you can. And then all of the complexity that goes into that is, is beneath, beneath the surface. It's invisible to everybody. Mm -hmm. And so, and so, you know, we've got a piece of software, a web application and mobile apps that are literally are millions of lines of code. They are very, 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 very complex. And the APIs we plug into are very complex, but none of that is visible 
to to the 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 people that interact with the product and it doesn't need to be so like hiding all of that complexity almost you know like taking a pay you know like steve jobs was the best in the world out of the, at this like hiding all of that complexity and just keeping it out of the way of the user and just making it as dead simple as possible is what people want it's what our brains are wired to respond to like our brains are wired to avoid complexity and mm -hmm. and so this does and, and this is why you know going circling back why great copywriting skills is, is important because simplicity is at the is at the heart of great copywriting and letting that carry into like this your business and its core and its value proposition what it is and does and making that as simple and and clear as possible is i think table stakes mm -hmm. um for, for for successful businesses these days and and uh, you know that's that's something that that has helped us improve our odds of success. And uh, you know, like, is some I get this a lot where people people want to start a business and they come to me. I, I do a little bit of coaching and mentoring for free as a hobby in Nashville where I live for business owners. And and a lot of people come to me and say, I want to start a business, but I don't have access to capital. Um, and they have this really complex like like grandiose business idea I'm like eh, you know maybe we need to start a simpler business like a home cleaning service or a lawn mowing service or a construction business or something and like learn business that that way and we can parlay it into this you know five years from now so i think it's particularly if you're just getting started like as simple as possible it, it can help you it can help you get you get you started get you over that cold start problem and help help with your odds of success absolutely yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And Brian, I want to ask, as somebody who's gone from service-based business to tech, um, I have two questions. So num number one, what was it like for you starting a tech company, right? Going from relatively straightforward service-based business to building technology. And then number two, I want to know if you knew what API, did you know that it, what an API even meant before you started the company? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. no. Okay. I, no, I still don't know. I still don't know. I just, I just, I know it's a thing. So I throw that buzzword out. Um, <laughs> um, no, it was extremely hard. And, and like I said, I was naive. I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so that, that naivete can, can be a, a, a benefit mm -hmm. because if you know how hard it's going to be, you probably would never get started. That certainly is the case for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, 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 we knew it was a good idea. We didn't know how to build software, but we knew it was a good idea. And we knew that somebody was going to build it. So we we pulled our money together. I didn't want to like parlay any of the proceeds from the first business into the second one. I really wanted it to stand up on its own. And, and the other thing too is I never wanted to pick up a weed eater ever again in my life. And so I knew I didn't want to go backwards. So I, I, all the proceeds from the first sale, I locked down in like really illiquid assets. And, and, and so then I knew the second company had to stand up on its own. So we... The first thing we did is what we 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 kind of mocked up. Now you would call it a wireframe, but we didn't even know what a wireframe was. But we we like drew out the what we thought the screens would look like, and we took it to a development shop, um, and and to build it. We thought we would just pay them to build it, and then we could market it, and then like in two years we would like get the company sold, and we would all be super rich. And, uh, and so we did, we pulled together 150 grand of our own money. Some of this was on like credit cards and liquidated 401ks. And it was really, really, really like scrapped together. And we paid this dev shop to build what we thought GreenPal should be. Took them like nine months to build it. And, uh, and, and we launched it and it was an unmitigated flop, total failure. Uh, we, we passed out door, door hangers all over Nashville just to get people to use this thing. We got like 100 people to use it. 
and uh, it was just they didn't do what it needed to do. Like it did, it was the vision of push a button, get your lawn mode did didn't work, and it didn't work for a bunch of reasons. And there was technological reasons. Reasons there was like the, the vendors just didn't respond when they were hired, and it was just oh man, like we didn't even know where to start. The only thing that kept us going was is was we were reading a book at the time called the Startup Owner's Manual by a by a uh, author named Steve Blank. And anybody that wants to start a tech startup, particularly inventing a new product from scratch, needs to read everything this guy's ever written. Hmm. And how, how do you spell uh, the last name? Steve Blank, just like B L A N K. Okay. Uh, and so he's written a book called Four Steps to the Epiphany and the Startup Owner's Manual. And these books are a decade plus old, but the but the fundamentals in the books are what he calls customer development and customer discovery. And it's, and it helps guide you through the process of, of, do you have a, are you solving a problem people want to pay for? And are you like on the cusp of building something that people will use and that people will want to you keep using and like walking you through that process. And one of the, one of the main like uh, points of both those books uh, is what's called like get out of the building. So a lot of times when you're building, technological products you're just writing code and you have a bias to just want to engineer your way out of every problem and like write code to solve every problem and that was it wasn't an issue for us we didn't know how to write code but but the the main thing that the books talk uh, try to try to beat in your head is like get your butt out of the building and talk to the people who are using whatever it is that you have cobbled together because from that you will glean the insights that are going to set you on the right path the right vector to, to, to what you need to be building and so we would we would like meet with every single person that tried the first product and uh and and we would talk to them and they were like they were upset they were pissed off that it didn't work they were let down that it didn't work they wanted it to work and so for us we we took that as a good sign as validation that okay yeah no this thing this thing like the promise of it was to solve a problem they really needed to have solved they needed to get somebody out there to mow the damn grass tomorrow but they didn't show up so like that was validating enough for us to understand okay People will use this. People will pay for uh, this service, and so we we just need to keep going. And so we made the hard decision, like, okay, we're just going to have to learn how to write code ourselves. We're going to have hmm. to learn how to build software. And luckily, at that time, 2013, there was just enough uh, resources in which you could teach yourself how to code. Uh, boot camps were starting to, to to crop up. Like 10 years earlier this stuff was not as accessible, but in 2013 it was, and it's even more so today. And so we, we took every online course we could, we read every blog we could, every YouTube channel. My, my co-founder went to a, a dev boot camp for six months and, and I, we, we started working on the next version while hmm. learning how to code. And so it goes back to the 80-20 rule, you know, like I, I learned just enough about how to do front-end engineering and my, my co-founder got pretty good at back-end engineering and- Wow took us another two years to to learn how to do this stuff while building the second version. But then after the second version rolled out much better, we went from like 100 users to 1,000. And then we were able to continually, like consistently double the business every year. And, uh, and then at that point, we knew enough on how to build software, how to engineer this stuff that we could then slowly but surely use what little bit of money we were making to hire more engineers and more developers to help us build it out. I was gonna say, I hope you you hired like a CTO or something at some point. <laughs> yeah, we, you know, as time went on, you know, my co-founder became the CTO, and wow. and he knew, yeah, he he became the the kind of the 
the person responsible for for architecting how we were building this thing out and then hmm. and then we went from just us uh, the two of us hacking this thing together to now we now we have 23 engineers that work on the product and little by little one one step at a time as the business could afford it quite frankly like because we have, we have bootstrapped this thing. We have funded oh, it wow. on its own revenues. And so that was kind of the, 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 the way we were able to grow slowly enough and, and layer on people onto the team as we could afford them. Wow, that's incredible. Would you recommend that approach to others or would you recommend, you know, like did you guys ever have any thought at some point of, hey, let's go find a technical co-founder so that we can build this thing quicker type thing? or And, and what would you say to you know, maybe we'll call people like yourselves who are domain experts, but don't have the tech skills. Do you recommend they try to learn it themselves or find a technical co-founder? What would you say in that regard? Yeah, I do not recommend that you take the same approach we did because it just, it just <laughs> took a long time. It took yeah. three or four years. And I mean, this is like three years, not paying ourselves any salaries. My two co-founders are still working their day jobs. And like, it's just not a way to, it's not a pleasurable way to build a business. There really is no pleasurable way, but it was really <laughs> tough. I don't recommend you go that route. Um, you can, so long as you're sufficiently motivated and, and never willing to give up. Ideally, you know, what Paul Graham calls a hacker and a hustler, you know, you get those two people together and you start a company. But I mean, if you, if you, you didn't grow up writing software and you're not in tech circles, I, you know, I didn't know any engineers. I didn't know, like, and being in Nashville, it's not like we're a huge haven for, for tech startups. And so I didn't really have access to engineers. And the other thing too is, is like, when you start a business and you're co-founding a, a, a business with somebody, it's a, a more important and, and, and more, it's, a, it's, 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 it's a more important decision than who you marry. To be, to be honest, like, because if the business is, you're going to be spending more time with this co-founder than you are your spouse. And if the business is successful, you're going to, on average, spend more time with them, like, then then it's going to last longer than most marriages, honestly. Like, so like, you know, people just rush into like a, into starting a, a business and, and like, don't put a whole lot of thought into who they sign on as their co-founder, or at least not as much as who they're going to like marry. And, uh, and that's the cause of a lot of business failures is like, is bad co-founder dynamics. So right. it's really hard. It's really hard to thread the needle on getting somebody you want to stay in the trenches with for five or 10 years and then getting somebody who has those skills it's almost like catching lightning in a bottle from the from the co-founder's standpoint. So for me, you know, like if you can work on yourself and then you become kind of what the co-founder you need uh, and you can like found the business even by yourself. And then like as time goes on, you can delegate these things to freelancers, I think is a better approach unless you just like find that person who is your soulmate of a co-founder right <laughs> you find the person who who is motivated who's ambitious who wants to build something great who has the skills that you don't mm -hmm. that can be like yeah if, if that's the case then yes go in, go into business with that person but i see a lot of a lot of tech startups and 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 new startups like force that and they're like and they're like okay i need to go get a co-founder now and and they're forcing it's like it's almost like an arranged marriage it's it's mm -hmm. just not it's not organic and odds are it's not going to work, and and uh, and a lot of times too is is they they need that co-founder's validation that they're doing the right thing and that they and that they're almost scared to start the business. And it's like I got to have a co-founder as like a coping mechanism. I see that too. Mm -hmm. So the the co-founder thing is one that that you can probably spend an hour talking about getting right. 
and Absolutely. and if you get it wrong, it can it can be the reason the business doesn't doesn't succeed. Yeah, I mean, I've I agree with everything you said 100%. I've had a terrible co-founder experience and I, I now have I think the lightning in the bottle experience where yeah. what worked for me in the end was working with someone technical uh, almost like a contractor at first. So he was doing work for cash. Great and idea. It, and it over time built into he is now my technical co-founder and I, like I that. mean we get along great and you know he's you know, been with me almost from the start, pretty much. I and, like that. Uh, you almost like co-founder dating. You find that freelancer. You pay them really good. Um, and it could just mean like this is one thing we did in the early days. My co-founder uh, drove back in those days. If you could drive for Uber or Lyft, you could make 30 or 40 bucks an hour. And he would drive for Uber or Lyft, make 30, 40 dollars an hour. Because guess what? for $40 an hour, you can get a pretty good developer out of Pakistan. Right. And, so, and so for every hour he drove for Lyft, we would pay a, pay a developer in Pakistan. So, so, um, <laughs> if you're willing to do that and then, yeah. and then, and then you can like date a freelancer, date a contractor for six months or a year, and then like co-found the business with them. I think that's a great way to ease into it. Yeah. Uh, no, but I, the re- I stumbled onto it. It, it was, it was luck, but I think, you know, trying some people out and, and eventually you'll find someone that you click with, like you said, right. that you're going to spend so much time with. Um, Brian, this has been really great hearing about both businesses in particular. I have two more questions. One of them is that, I mean, you've been rattling off these quotes from really good names. I, I'm, I'm interested to look into Steve Blank. Could you give maybe two or three? This is probably going to be a tough answer for you just because it sounds like you're very well read two or three books that you would recommend to someone who is looking to start their own business or maybe struggling with their own business right now. Uh, if you can narrow it down to like two or three that you would recommend, which ones would you say? Yeah. Um, tactically. Uh, so I'll, I'll go one book tactically and then one book, maybe more like philosophically. Um, so tactically is a book called blitz scaling. Um, by Reed Hoffman. That's a good book. And if, if you're building a, a, a tech startup, um, that's a good book on ter- in terms of how to think about building a fast growing company that can help expose you to some, some, some things. Um, again, and in that same vein, uh, startup owner's manual and four steps of the epiphany and the lean startup by Eric Reese. Those are three books that are all kind of along the same lines of, of building a company, uh, based off of the, the, the flow of feedback that you're getting from your users and, and developing it that way, rather than what you think it should be, you go to work for six months and you build something that nobody wants, which is as crazy as that sounds is what 99% of businesses do. And then and then like zooming out a book, uh, like Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is a great book that just kind of can help you think about how you spend your time and and uh, becoming just a better person, a better entrepreneur, better business leader. And then another book I just finished um, is called A Million Miles in, um, uh, no, A Thousand Miles in a Million Years. And it's a really mm-hmm. good book uh, and it kind of can help you think about your your life in terms of a storyline and like to live an interesting life you have to have an interesting story. And, and when I read the book, I took it to, to, to mean that, wow, my business is the storyline of my life. And without my business, my life is pretty boring. So like 20 years mm-hmm. of business, there's been highs and lows and me overcoming challenges and obstacles to get things done and, and, and achieve some degree of success. And like without the business, it's a pretty damn boring movie. 
And so, uh, so the business is the storyline. And so if you can think about your business journey in the context of a storyline and like you, whether you had a low point or you're just getting started, it's really hard. That's what makes the whole thing interesting. And, uh, that book helped frame all that for me. Hmm. Very cool. Awesome. I'm going to have to add those to the list. Uh, Brian, last question, one or two key pieces of advice to someone out there. Maybe they're in a nine to five. They don't like, maybe they're working, you know, evenings and weekends on a business to try and get it off the ground. Do you have one or two pieces of maybe more of that step back, you know, maybe less tactical, more uh, general feedback or things that you would tell them? Yeah, you know, get in the game because only when you're in the game can you win. So step one, you got to get in the game. You know, life's too short to spend 20 years, you know, working in a cubicle for some something that you're not, you don't believe in. Um, so step one, like, get in the game step two you know think small act small but be ambitious and always always be like having that methodology like in the back of your mind like just just focus on one two or three things you can do against the bigger bigger goal bigger ambition and and do think of it as a video game do think of it as just get through one or two levels at a time and not worry about all that other stuff and do know that it's going to take five five years or ten years but the time is going to pass you might as well spend it doing something worthwhile and you, and you, you'll be glad you, you know, a decade from now, you'll be glad you did because that time's going to go by. And so mm -hmm. you might as well have something to show for it. And for me, like the business is the thing that everybody has access to, to, to make something of themselves. And, uh, you'll be, you know, a decade from now, you'll be glad you did. And that's, that's my advice. Think small, act small, be ambitious. That's great. And I love how you put it. I've never really, I've heard similar type messages, but the way you put it just makes it so clear and actionable. Awesome. Brian, this has been really great. Uh, I definitely have come away a lot smarter uh, after this episode, just hearing the advice, hearing the stories, getting some of these resources from you. If people want to learn more about you, connect with you or, or learn more about the business, where do you recommend that they go? Yeah, anybody listening to this doesn't want to waste time mowing the grass. They can just download Green Pal in the <laughs> App Store or Play Store. That's what we're here for. Um, anybody wants to reach me, I've been hanging out on LinkedIn a lot lately, so you can just hit me up there. Awesome. And we will link to both those in the description, either if you're watching on YouTube or any of the podcast platforms you might be listening on. Brian, thanks again for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. I appreciate it. I had a great time. Hey everyone, Josh here from Solopreneur Grind, just checking in one last time to say thanks so much for listening into the episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you want to join the Solopreneur Grind community, I send an email every Monday morning talking about new content such as episodes like these that have come out, my previous week in business, things I'm thinking about, things I'm reading about, and events, clubhouse events, other networking events that I'm running as well. You can sign up for free at solopreneurgrind.com slash join if you want to get more of my content, solopreneurgrind.com slash join. Thanks again for tuning in.